Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney Presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? I'm going to say, if you ever see a news report that says Henry Zabrowski dies in fiery car crash, uh huh. It's because Freebird came on at the wrong time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because in I, Atlanta, I mm. bring the fucking heat to the driving. Absolutely. Right? I fucking, I drive 10 miles faster than everybody else. I'm fucking gunning it. I've I driven with Kia, you before. <laughs> you see it. But here I got my Kia C-Mist. Oh. So as soon, soon as it hits 62, the car starts shaking. So I'm like driving an old rickety like Model T. But I'm going 75 miles an hour. Freebird kicks in. All of a sudden, I'm driving through police barricades in my mind. And of today, course. I did the same thing. I missed the off-ramp to exit. So I was just got the, the fucking solo because was kicking into. I fucking went across four lanes of traffic just like screaming Freebird. And I was like, what am I doing? I was out of control. Right, yeah. You're like the ugliest member of the Firefly family. That's the end of Devil's Rejects. I believe I'm you just described one. that. <laughs> All right, this is the last podcast on the left. It's Firefly family, right? Firefly, yeah. Firefly. <laughs> All right, this is the last podcast on the left. I am Ben Kissel. We have Marcus Parks. Hey, hey. And then soon to be in a ball of flames, Henry Zabrowski. I can't wait to be gone. Oh, yes. We all are on the same boat on that one. Guys, what does the number 300 represent for everyone? For me, Ed Larson's weight. Ooh, that's actually my weight, too. Is it your weight? I'm losing weight, but it currently is sitting at a healthy 300. I would say uh, a downtrending 300. Yes. But yeah, 300's big. Yeah, this yeah. is the 300th episode. 300th episode! Couldn't have done it without all of you. Hail yourselves. Thank you all so much. And now I'm thinking about those muscular people in that movie, 300. Ooh, yeah. the tall one. I am Sparta. Ooh. I think that's from that, where I am Sparta. I am WNBC Sparta. Oh, my. Well, speaking of crazy cults, somehow I found the way to get there. Yeah. 300 episodes in, we are finally fully covering Marcus Parks. Your brain must be in a strange place right now. Jim Jones. Oh, we're covering Jim Jones. We're covering Jonestown. This is something, this is an episode that I've been wanting to do for years and years and years. We covered Jonestown very briefly in like Mm. episode four, back before we had any idea what we were doing. Yeah, I think we focused on more of the the death tapes and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We absolutely focused more on those aspects of it, but I'm extremely excited to fully tackle Jonestown in a four-episode series. All right. Remember this, first of all, 
People's Temple, no apostrophe. Yeah. Oh. And I want to start this now. What do you mean? Before we're corrected on the internet. People's Temple, no apostrophe. Why isn't, it's not the People's Temple? No, because People's Temple with the apostrophe implies ownership. Right. And no. this was a socialist temple. <laughs> oh, don't get me going. Where's McCarthy when we need him? He could have stopped all this from happening. <laughs> so Jim Jones, known as Jimba to his mother. Oh was a murderous cult leader who led 913 people to their death and ordered the execution of a further five all on the same day in 1978, either in or around his cult's compound, Jonestown, wow. located in Guyana in South America. All right. Now, Jimba, normally you'd imagine you'd find somebody named Jimba at the Animal Actor Show at right. Universal. <laughs> he does seem a little bit Lion King character-esque. <laughs> Jimba. <laughs> Uh, his cult, known as People's Temple, was somewhat unique in that it was more rooted in a political ideology than in any sort of far-out religious theology. Hmm. The members of People's Temple, as I said, were ardent socialists. So these are the kind of people that are for bike lanes, for example. <laughs> yes. When you say political yes. ideology, I'm like, bike lane or anti-bike lane? What are you? There are only two options. <laughs> it is a very interesting group, but we know mostly about Jonestown as the end result. Uh, but this cult, this group, started the 1950s, and it's kind of interesting to see the long-form cults, because this is right. sort of similar to me to a Children of God or mm. a Scientology, where this was a, this was a long time coming. Right. So what you, what's kind of fun, to take Kissel's phrase, about these episodes is that you already know the tip of the iceberg, mm -hmm. and it's kind of fun to go down to the stanky balls of the iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> is that what they have down there? Is that what the yes. Titanic hit? We hit its balls. So, but now was, were they ever registered as a religion? I'm sorry to... They were actually, okay. they were at one point a part of a larger religious group. So they were absolutely... So they the government had, recognized They them. had tax-exempt status. Oh, okay. uh, they absolutely did. Mm. But like all cults, the ideology that those people shared centered around a single figure. Jim Jones. Mm. This is the 40-year saga of crawling into one dude's mind. Yeah. Because right. that's really what it is, is that what's a cult, what have we learned about cults from the cults we've already covered? Is that basically it's getting a group of people into one normally dude's brain. Mm. And so you're just living Jim Jones' life. Well, I mean, dudes, unless you're looking at Charles Manson, and the most important thing I ever learned from a cult, you can lift yourself up with your butt. Remember <laughs> yes. when he did that? Remember yes. that in Um Shinrikia when he levitated with just his butt? What a guy. <laughs> now, the thing to keep in mind this entire series is that what happened at Jonestown was not mass suicide. Mm. It was mass murder and it was not a sudden event jones spent years preparing these people for that moment manipulating them the entire time well kind of like this if imagine imagine the cult is all inside the brain of one man it's like mm. when the one man chooses to commit suicide he then murders everybody else it's like a deleted scene from that movie what was it inside out or something what was the name of the movie the animated film where <laughs> the every movie with all the emo the child's emotions yes, exactly <laughs> it's just like that is it like that what was the name of that movie inside out yeah inside out great movie. Uh, Jim Jones didn't know exactly when he was going to initiate the suicide. He was always ready for the inevitability, though. Kind of like a guy who carries around a wedding ring in his pocket all the time to wait for the right moment to pop the question. That's the next case commercial, absolutely. That's what it has to be. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, on the final day of People's Temple, Jim Jones either directed or forced 908 people to drink grape 
Flavorade, oh. not Kool-Aid, <laughs> mixed with cyanide, putting them all through a slow, agonizing death. So now you can effectively, obnoxiously correct anybody who says, oh, I guess he drank the Kool-Aid, loudly and in front of many people in front of your friends. Yeah, actually, back in Jonestown, yeah. it was actually Flavorade. Yeah. You know it was Flavorade. The many people dutifully did what they were told, but those that didn't drink voluntarily were held down and stuck with syringes full of poison, or Oof. they were just shot in the head by armed guards that surrounded the pavilion where the flavor aid was served. Hmm. It is estimated that up to a third, 300 people involuntarily met their end in one of these two ways. And that's the absolute highest estimate. That means that at least 600 did this of their own volition. Wow. Now, the question is, how did Jim Jones manage to make this happen? I got to ask, uh, how did Jim Jones manage <laughs> to make this or allow this to happen? I, the question. I'm going to tell you. Oh, wow. Well, first, though, let's look at mass suicide throughout history, because mass suicide is not singular to Jonestown. Most mass suicides throughout history were committed to avoid the wrath or rule of advancing armies, like in 1803, when 50 women and children threw themselves over a cliff to escape enslavement at the hands of Ottoman invaders. Ooh. Now, others were done out of despair, like the mass suicides in 1945 in Germany after the Nazis lost World War II. Rather than face defeat, 7,000 people in Berlin alone took their lives. And these were mostly- Like a bunch of cucks. <laughs> oh my goodness. And these people were mostly civilians. They were not high-ranking Nazis that were looking to, to avoid punishment. These were people who just could not handle their way of life ending. They couldn't handle being wrong. Right? Again, we have covered this and cults again and again we've, we, we've talked about this as the as soon as you realize your entire life has been wrong you've allowed a certain thing to exist for so long you never spoke up you were you were just a part of it you kind of just kept going you, once you admit at some point oh wow this is crazy I'm not going to commit suicide that means you've negated years of your life and so right. there are people that it's so much easier to it's fucked up by that point to commit suicide than to change and then there's the religiously motivated mass suicides, the most famous of which being Heaven's Gate. Oh, yeah. yeah. For those of you who don't know, in 1997, 39 people followed a self-made castrato named Marshall <laughs> Applewhite. You wore his shirt on New Year's Eve, and we have a great Instagram video on Ben Kissel 1. <laughs> that was a, a Christmas gift from Carolina. Oh, It was very a wonderful nice. Christmas gift. So that man led 39 people into death after he promised them that killing themselves was the only way they could ride in a spaceship that yeah. was for sure riding the tailwind of a comet named Hale-Bopp. Can I ask this question? Do you think it's easier to get a bunch of people to commit suicide if they don't have penises? <laughs> I guess. I, I think he thought that. <laughs> because my penis is like a reason to stay around. Like I'm yeah. fine with my, my penis gives me enough enjoyment. To myself, even if it's tiny. <laughs> if you want to know exactly what it looked like there, the last days of the Apple White, uh, the Apple White Gang, mm -hmm. Desperate Living. Remember that when she yeah. gets the penis and then she doesn't get it and then she gets it cut off because she cuts it off. But the other thing with that Heaven's Gate, they used the Green Bay Packers G. They did, which was very confusing for me as a child. Still using it to this day. It wow. is very difficult to create your own font. <laughs> Uh, Jonestown is unique in that it's somewhat of a combination of all three of these. Mm. But the only thing of those three that were actually real and not a manipulation of Jim Jones 
was the despair that things just didn't work out. Hmm. See, People's Temple was not made up of people looking for a reward in the afterlife like Heaven's Gate. The best Jones promised them was reincarnation, and even then, it was more of an afterthought than anything. And they were not supervillains like Om Shinrikyo. They did not want to rule the world or force others to live life like they lived life. The only thing a lot of the members of People's Temple wanted was to be an example to the rest of us. These were people who were honest to God trying to make life better for themselves and for other people. They truly believed in the goodness of their way of life because at its core, the message of People's Temple was positive. All right. Well, it definitely started positive. That was the whole point. The whole point of it is that he got, he again, that's how you find yourself in in the middle of a mass suicide is that for so long you were doing the right thing. Right. Uh, you were genuinely a part of a uh, community that was helping other communities. Um, and I also think there's an inherent difference between something like Om Shinrikyo, which was cool as fuck and metal and trying to take over the world. And then this is kind of closer again to a children of God slash Scientology. Where Scientology, what kept that thing together, what kept L. Ron Hubbard together was the fact that in the end it was about money. He was trying mm-hmm. to make money. And it was, it's weird having that other side goal is what keeps it alive and keeps it going today. Where Jim Jones, again, what, what happened was that he, I, I think that the central question of all these episodes are going to be, how does someone go from somebody who is like genuinely trying to help society into maniacal, power-hungry cult leader that now, which is Kissel, you're going to have to watch out for with your fucking future in politics. Oh, yeah. Because that's where this shit always goes. Oh, yeah. And there's no way it's not going to go great. Not hundreds and hundreds of episodes of my voice being recorded on this show alone that could sink any political career despite amount, uh, any amount of charm. Well, these people, a lot of them did believe in Jim Jones. Yes. But a lot of the others only believed in his message. Mm. And they let Jim Jones get away with a lot of shit because of that. They Mm. believed in racial equality and they believed in social justice, even though that term has become loaded in recent years. Mm. But either way, People's Temple did great things in the 25 years they were in existence and made the lives of many of their members and many of the members in their those people's communities better. All right. But at the center of it all was a man who could have walked the path of the righteous, but eventually chose evil. Mm. As an example of where People's Temple and Jim Joe started and where they ended, let's compare excerpts from two of Jim's speeches. Here's an earlier sermon made in a People's Temple church in San Francisco to hundreds of smiling people. You look out at the crowd, everyone's smiling, they're hugging each other. Uh There's like, you actually feel like a love in the room when you watch this. Do you think it's drug related? No. This is not. This Absolute, is a sober, sober bunch. This is a except for Jim Jones himself. Yes, a staunchly sober bunch. All right. Like it was a huge rule. It's like the difference between looking at footage from the studio audience from when the Cosby Show was filmed, then and then now. If you do a, get a group together and show episodes of the Cosby Show <laughs> to right. them now, different <laughs> reaction. Hindsight twenty twenty. Sure. Now let's hear this first one. Now. Now will each of you give a very fond embrace, a salutary kiss of greeting to your neighbor. And let's fill this atmosphere with warmth and love. 
All right, that's the first. All right, one. very yeah. nice. Yeah, it's very nice. It's very positive. Everyone yeah. in the crowd is hugging each other. Kind of got a Bing Crosby Christmas special. <laughs> he is. To it. He is. And this is before the sunglasses. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. This is and that's also how you know when things go wrong in a friend's life. Right. <laughs> if they start wearing tinted sunglasses <laughs> inside, right? That is always a very bad sign. Absolutely. Now here is Jim Jones in his very last speech, made about a decade later. After the mass suicide, the mass murder in Jonestown had already begun. You'll regret it this very day if you don't die. You'll regret it if you don't die. You'll regret it. Too many people? I saved them. I saved them, but I made my example. I made my expression. I made my manifestation, and the world was ready, not ready for me. Paul said, I was a man born out of due season. I've been born out of due season just like all we are, and the best testimony we can make is to leave this goddamn world. It's like the spiritual version of one of those pre-meth, post-meth billboards. (laughs) But the drug for Jim Jones was power, and he just like slowly rotted out his teeth. No, the drug for Jim Jones was also amphetamine. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. That That was him high as fuck. Because at that point, he had this is what you know. Because in the beginning, he was really clean, almost too clean. He was sober to a point where I thought I think it's disarming. Obnoxious. (laughs) By this point, it's the opposite. Where he's all his teeth are all fucked up. He's there screaming. I also will say. Jim Jones is very similar to L. Ron Hubbard, and I wonder if there is a thing to it where they have a sort of feminine aspect to them, where Jim Jones, once he started dressing up all the time, uh, and he started doing his hair and doing all these things, and then the kind of the weird uh, affected speech that started happening later on in his life, very similar to L. Ron Hubbard, I wonder if there's something about the baphometic duality that these guys have that attracts people to them as well, where they have kind of feminine aspects and masculine aspects, and that makes them very attractive to people. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I think uh, the aspect- Get you a guy who can do both. <laughs> that's what I always say. Get you, get you a leader who can do both. Well, I think the affected way of speech, the the more feminine affective way of speech that Jim Jones took on, uh, I mean, we're going to see exactly why later on, but he started to make an affectation where he- tried to speak like an old black woman. Mm. Uh, and I am 1000% yeah. serious when I say like that, that is one of the affectations that he made. Uh, and we're going to see exactly why he did that later on in the series. All right. And I would get in trouble for this. Yeah. You don't get in trouble for that. You've well, done that. I would say, I would, <laughs> what do you, trouble, you, I would get in trouble. Are you putting yourself in free speech jail? Because no one's put you I'm in free just speech upset. jail. I'm already upset. Uh, the victim in all of this is Henry Zabrowski. Uh, as That's it always we'll is. Learn. As it is. As it is, as always, uh-huh. it all comes down. It all trickles down to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> See, as we said, I think the biggest mistake about Jonestown that people make, and we've been guilty of this ourselves in our past episodes, is to only examine the end. You right. look at the end and you wonder how people got there, but most of us don't take the time to understand it. And just mm-hmm. like all cults, to understand it, We've got to understand the person behind it. Absolutely. But before we get to the life of Jim Jones, I've got to name my main sources for this episode. Uh Uh-uh. The first main source is The Road to Jonestown by Jeff Gwynn, released just last year with the benefit of 40 Years Hindsight. Nice. It is a fascinating and highly recommended book that is, it's a little more sober and even with his storytelling than the other one that we chose. 
The other main source is Raven by John Jacobs and Tim Reiterman. This one was published in 1982, only four years after the Jonestown Massacre. And although it's widely considered the definitive Jonestown account, mm. it doesn't really benefit from the passage of time right. as the road to Jonestown does. Yes, it's, which is great. I like having these two perspectives. We've both learned a lot. Uh, the uh, Road to Jonestown's a wonderful book. It's been great. And also the documentary Deceived is pretty wonderful, too, because that's from a Christian perspective yeah. of the People's Temple. And it's literally just pastors going, what the fuck happened? <laughs> but also a part of it's like them. I could see the jealousy being like, this guy? This is the guy you like? Right. It's like the, the fans of Dane Cook. It's the fans of Pat Oswald looking at the fans of Dane Cook being uh. like, this guy? <laughs> They're all the same to me. <laughs> so, please, if you want to know more about this story, go buy these books and support the authors. That's The Road to Jonestown and Raven. So, right. without further ado, let's get into the life of Jim Jones and try to figure out how and why Jonestown ended the way it did. Hmm. James Warren Jones was born in Crete, Indiana on May 13th, 1931. His father like wasn't a flavor aid magnet, was he? That would be because incredible. that's the that would be amazing if he, if he was birthed into the flavor aid into that entire hierarchy, that theocracy that is the flavor aid company. Their only god is flavor aid. Oh no, he was the son of a wildly bizarre couple named Lynetta and James Thurman Jones. Okay, although Lynetta was not his mother's birth name, hmm. she was born Lunet. Putnam in I 1902. It's, it's probably, I think it's Lunette. It's probably Lunette. Well, I think, I mean, spelling wise, there's yeah. no E at the end of it. It's just L U N N E T T. You so, give her some barbells. She squats. She'll, she squats. <laughs> she knows how to do squats. Lunette. Where do you want me to put the keg? <laughs> it was probably Lunette, yes. Ah, beautiful. But, the only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. That was your dog saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. But you're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively. But BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats and oh they love their life and they love the they love what bark box brings because bark box brings the bark and puts it in a box yep to get your free upgrade go to barkbox.com slash l-e-f-t my sister is the best gift giver i've ever met of any person it's jackie zabrowski she shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put 
photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional and we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah, getting to about 365, seeing where they're at. See if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. She was what could be described as a lifelong pain in the ass. Her marriage to Big Jim was actually her fourth, having already exhausted three men by the time she was a hair over 25. Well, if they can't keep up, get out of here. (laughs) When she was 25, she was also described as an old maid. Which is a fun thing about the time period. That's the <laughs> patriarchy talking. <laughs> Jim Jones's father, James, was a World War I veteran who'd had his lungs ruined in a German gas attack, essentially weakening him physically and mentally for the rest of his life. Mm. That was something I want to get more into at some point about the gas victims of World War I, because Ooh. those guys, it was a whole ruined generation of people. Like all those people, because they were deeply debilitated. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in our Edgewood series uh, about the effects of these gas on men and what it actually does to them. Uh, but, you know, a lot of people that came back from that war and a lot of people who had these sort of respiratory problems, you know, they go past it and they live full lives. Mm-hmm. But James Jones was not that type of man. Okay. He was a bit of a pussy. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, he was just a non-figure. I want to say pussies are very strong. Thank you, So we'll Kessel. say he's a Thank bit you. of a dick, Henry. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, this, he was a non-figure. He was unimpressive and unambitious from cradle to grave. Okay. But he was a member of a prominent and I mean, rich family. To be fair, it's not, you can't be ambitious in the cradle. You're a baby. Uh, you, can be, you can be ambitious in the cradle. 
Oh, what do you got? How? What can you do? You can I was climb a baby out and climb just top. like just uh, 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 doing pull-ups on the crib. <laughs> oh, I don't trying know about to make that. my penis longer, wrapping uh, it around the bars of the crib, just leaning back, leaning back, just trying to be like, I will be a man about town. I'm saying that to myself. <laughs> but the thing is about James Jones is that he was a member of a prominent and rich family, uh. which is exactly why Lynette glommed onto him despite him being damn near old enough to be her father. Okay. Now, the townsfolk called him Big Jim uh-huh. to distinguish him from our little Jimmy. Oh. But by the time this guy reached his 50s, he was so beaten down and defeated that they'd taken to calling him Old Jim instead. Sad. Not clever with the nicknames. <laughs> Pretty much Sad. on the nose. But he looked like yeah. a thinner Steve Bannon oh. by the time he went. No, because he was just haggard, like just like sitting on a stool, just wasting away at the card house because it was a dry county that they lived in. So he couldn't even booze it up. No. Right. Like they was, these are people during the Prohibition. They kept the Prohibition going after the Prohibition had already been rescinded. So he just sat there fucking sober playing cards till he died. Well, cards and well, pool. Well, that's, that's fine to do. <laughs> What's wrong with that? That's a great way to end it all. Just sitting there drinking. No, for playing probably, cards. 20, the last 20 years of his life, it was just drinking coffee and soda at the pool hall. And a lot play- of times he wouldn't even play. He'd just sit there. I don't know if you guys understand what living your best life looks like because I think that that might be it. Technically, that is self-care. That would be a self-care Saturday nowadays. Yes, but he was not happy, you don't think? No. he was. Well, he was just whatever. He was like, whatever. He, he, just, he just coasted through life not really doing much of anything. Okay. So Lynetta claimed that when she was about to be pregnant with Jim, she saw a vision of, quote, the Egyptian river of death. Well, that's not a good omen. <laughs> no. That's horrifying. But then she saw herself dying on the cross as Lynetta had a penchant for the dramatic. Okay. She was a character. Yeah. I like her. Yeah. She said that she was then visited by the spirit of her mother who told her that it was not her time yet as she still had to fulfill her destiny of giving birth to a great man. Ooh. Now, knowing what we do about Lynetta, this is probably horseshit. This woman was constantly telling lies to make herself more impressive than she really was and can be best described as a woman who never quite grew out of her snotty, rebellious teenage years. I like her. <laughs> well, because you know what it is? It's true, right? Because you're right here. Part of it's like she did defy the conventions of her time. She wore pants. Yes. She liked to swear a lot. Uh, she smoked in public. She was like kind of like in your face kind of person. She just, but the problem is she was just difficult for the sake of being difficult. Yeah, I but, guess but at the so. same time, but you can also see her bumping against the society that didn't understand that she wanted more from life. But the, but the problem is that she didn't put the work in. No. To to make some changes. She was like my grandmother. Very difficult. The times were difficult. Everyone had to be difficult. No. Everything was hard. Um, <laughs> your grandmother was a part of the problem. No, my, I said my grandmother, who grew up in Minnesota, not my Oma, who was part of the solution to a problem. Uh, they they were very th- activist against. I, they were against the Nazi party. Yeah, ben, I think you need to be real careful about how you use the word solution. Oh solution. I think solution <laughs> is my very. Very troubled. Started term. labor unions all across this world in Africa. All he was a globalist. He considered himself a yeah, man of the like world. He was constantly apologizing. He was well. Like he he was constantly to being to Matt Damon. Well, he could have committed suicide, and then I wouldn't be here. Interesting. <laughs> well, let's just get an example of the, the difficultness of Lynetta Jones. First of all. Her constantly changing names. She was born Lunette, mm-hmm. but then she changed that to Lynette. And then she changed that to Lynetta. 
Uh. Only thing is, she didn't tell anybody she wanted to be called Lynetta. Uh. So she got super fucking offended when people didn't call her goddamn Lynetta. Yeah, well, she took, I think you uh, gotta she call took, her Lynetta. She took it as a personal offense because when she first met Big Jim's family, she was going as Lynette. And she's, but then she wanted to be started calling Lynetta, but... They didn't know that. They didn't. So they just started calling. They just kept calling her Lynette. So she you, took personal offense to that. You gotta find the game within the game. They didn't have Sirius XM. There was nothing else to do. The only thing they had to do was find ways to become upset to feel emotion. So this was her approach. But it's like showing up saying that my name's Puff Daddy now, but I was just calling you Sean two weeks ago. Yeah. And she also had apparently a filthy mouth. But this was Indiana in the 30s, so it sounds like their yeah. standard for filthy mouth for a woman was just saying damn a lot. She spit a lot, too. She liked to spit. Yeah. And she wore pants. Disgusting. I feel like we're being a little harsh on this woman who was just trying to survive in the 1930s in Indiana. She wasn't trying to survive. This this was a person who constantly, like, she would so much rather say that she was a great person rather than actually being a great person. You have to say it first. You have to. <laughs> Michael Jordan said it. I will be the best. And then he became the best. And you know what? Jim Carrey wrote himself a check for a million dollars. And we now know he's like this. We all know that. the goddamn story. So. Now he's deeply troubled. Yes, he now is. he's fucking, he's gone. Well, he's, he's an ego man. The documentary was terrible. But you know what it is? Is that I get it. You're from Indiana. A part of this whole, what they keep talking about in the road to Jonestown is that in Indiana, the whole thing about is is conformity it, at this time it go was along about to forever. get along yeah yeah go along to get along up, is what they say yeah keeping up with the keeping up with the joneses you're in there you're you're a part of a machine you're a part of a neighborhood you're part of a community so part of it's like yes i think it would have been interesting if she i mean we're making judgment calls now fucking 70 years later 100 years later however fucking whatever the time period is but it's like <laughs> we're making these judgment calls now but at the time, it's like, if you wanted to be different, you should have moved to goddamn New York. Not everyone just pick up and move to New York. Not in the 1930s. That was still the Pony Express era. Am I wrong? Hey, man, they, back in the 30s, there were thousands of strong, independent women who took life by the fucking horns and made it for themselves. All right. Lynetta just wanted to sound big. You know, she just wanted to be different. That's okay. all she wanted. She didn't want to be great. She just wanted to be different. She was, like, for example, she was a big believer in, like, destiny and reincarnation. She said that in a past life, she'd been a successful writer, a great woman, but in this life, her destiny had been ruined by pettiness and jealousy. She already did it in a past life. <laughs> I, I like this approach to it. Be like, been there, done that. Now I'm onto my Cheeto phase, and I think I'm going to get some flavor aid. We're looking at the seeds that had been planted into Jimba Jones. Yes, these are the little the Jimba gets <laughs> all of these lessons from his mother, mm. and a part of it is the constant blaming of other people. And waking up with this idea of being, she said, I was chosen by God to give birth to a great son, which is a part of what, she's, yeah. what, what she had retrofitted for herself to make her feel normal about herself having a child, was that she put it all into Jim, mm -hmm. and now he's got to live up to his mother's expectations, which are going to haunt him for the rest of his life. As far as mother issues go among sociopaths, she's not the worst mom that we've ever no. covered in, in, no. uh, well, in these series here. She absolutely is in not. In the podcast. Well, I mean, if you want to compare to a serial killer's mom, you can kind of compare it to Jeffrey Dahmer's parents, because even though she was saying that Jim Jones was a great man, was going to be a great man, and her son was going to be a great man, she was constantly telling her son that he was going to be a great man. Mm. She didn't actually want to put in the work of actually raising her kid, yeah. so she pretty much ignored him 
for most of his upbringing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when he was born, she just she dismissed him by saying he resembled quote an ugly Eskimo. And I am not going to say that she is wrong. <laughs> she definitely had a bit of a Heidi Klum moment with that by calling oh. him an ugly Eskimo. But she is correct. <laughs> I just picture her buying him sunglasses, huge aviators when he's like six months old, and we just slowly watch him grow into him. <laughs> but that's not what happened. But that's what I was, that's what I fantasized. Yeah, if and, it was a Pixar movie. <laughs> yeah, and Tim's dad wasn't any help either. He, he like we said, he spent all his time over at the pool hall drinking coffee and soda. Okay. And in other words, Jim Jones was left to his own devices to do whatever he wanted. And what little Jimmy wanted to do was almost exclusively abnormal shit. Yeah. He got right into the weird shit very fast. <laughs> so for some reason, Lynetta would never let Jimmy into the house if she wasn't there. Okay. As a lot of the time, she was on the assembly lawn over at the old Winchester Glass Factory. All right. So it was a part of the arrangement with the Jones family was that the uh, because James couldn't get his shit together enough to have a job, he couldn't keep a job, he couldn't stay on his feet. A part of it, he had a lack of spirit, right? Where they say a brittle spirit. Is that he mm. had it again and again. It's, like, it's, it's a thing that he, he suffered from. So the family took them in and saying, like, well, we'll buy you a house and we'll take care of you. But a part of this is that once we have you set up, you're going to, Lynetta is going to have to get a job. Right. To cover all of this shit. She's going to have to cover at least some of the house expenses and we'll take care of everything else. But she didn't want to. She felt deep resentment about well, it. Well, yeah, she should, though, because her husband's playing cards. He's not even drinking. <laughs> I honestly think if he was getting sauced up, I'd be like, well, okay, he's got a card and an alcoholic problem. She's out there working in the factory. I kind of understand why she's constantly pissed. Yeah. Well, it's a 50 50 pro- It's a 50 50 problem. Yeah. Because she also thought she was better than having a job. Yeah. 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 She, she thought okay. that. And she also refused to talk to anybody in town they'd try speaking to her and she'd turn her nose up at him uh, because they didn't talk about the great things that she wanted to talk about she's a Roosevelt <laughs> yeah and I, I kind of get that but she also never made any real effort she was it was okay. always her being better than everybody else and her building herself up like for example the Winchester glass factory she was just an assembly line worker but years later she told everyone that she was a labor union leader that she had led everyone in an uprising to have the workers treated well. Well, it, it was not true. She okay. didn't do anything. <laughs> she didn't do jack shit. All right. She did nothing. She made glass. <laughs> That's she <good>. did. <laughs> so while she was working, Jimmy wandered the neighborhood and was eventually taken in by a sweet old Nazarene preacher's wife named Myrtle Kennedy, which is, Ooh. by the way, the perfect name for a woman who talks about church all the time. Absolutely. Myrtle. You want some thin cookies? <laughs> yeah. Love them. I made them specifically so you wouldn't like them. All right. <laughs> she was a part of the Nazarene community, and the part of the Nazarene community is that if you join the church, you can't go to other churches. Yeah. But it's like it's it's very uh, it's very devout. They're very sweet, but they're very they they were the only group in this small Indiana town mm-hmm. that evangelized. Everybody else didn't. The other groups was like the other churches. People would just come and go as they pleased. Right. Yeah. Right. The, I know the Nazarenes. Oh yeah, they were a God botherers, as people uh-huh. called them. They sure. believed that if you did not go to the Nazarene church, you were going to hell, All right. bar none. So, in Jim Jones, because the Jones family didn't go to church at all. Which fucked up the whole town. Yeah. Because that's what people did. <laughs> oh, what they say is like the town, because the town knows everybody's fucking business, everybody's yeah. on top of each other's bullshit, so a part of it's that, like, everybody does the same shit. On Wednesday, they all go see the movie in the in this, in the town square, which right. is what they actually did. They all, they all go shopping on Saturday, and on Sunday, everybody goes to church. And when you don't go to church, you stick out. 
But little Jimmy Jones started doing it, and he was weird about it immediately. <laughs> I'm sh- but this is good. So he's understanding religion is a social construct used for economic means, for jobs, for relationships, nothing to do with God. Yeah, and guess what he does? He twists it to he kills 900 people. <laughs> well, he only he killed 300, and then the 600 did self-kill. No, he killed them. No, like, he, he killed, killed them. murdered okay, all of them. That's like, a good it, point. He was, he get, this is, once again, Jonestown was not a mass suicide. It was a mass murder. Immediately rolling back every time. Oh, no, that is a good point. Oh, yeah. That is scale it back. So Myrtle Kennedy saw in Jim Jones a soul to save. So she started taking Jimmy to church every single Sunday, and Jim loved every single second of it. He immediately took to church. Mm. And in fact, he was starting to quote scripture back to her, even as a young child, long passages of scripture. He Mm. immediately had a knack for this. And pretty soon, though, he started to get curious about other churches. So every Sunday, Jim Jones would bounce from church to church to church, taking notes the entire time. Sometimes he'd go to one church for about an hour and then head to another church to catch the end of that one. Wow. Now, it's very interesting because before the church thing happened, right. when he was rolling around town, when he was just, he'd just walk with dogs following him everywhere because he used to feed him and dogs used to just follow him where he'd go back and forth and he met some oh. other little kid whose father was a pilot. And the first thing that Jim Jones said when he said, met this kid and the dad, he's like, I always wanted to be a pilot. And they're like, okay. So he went and he became obsessed with planes for like six weeks and then dropped out and started doing the church shit. But this right. guy, what he started realizing immediately was, oh, obsessions and things, that, things like this, this is how you fit into society with people. He mm-hmm. never once felt the genuine pull towards church or towards airplanes. It was about seeing how everybody responded to the people like like his the guy is a pilot. Watching the guy as a pilot going to the airport, watching all these people respond to this pilot with respect and giving him power. When he yeah. goes to the church seeing this priest lead all of these people again and again and again. So immediately he's like doing math. He's Martha Stewarting it. Watching the, the the holes where he needs to go, like see, like he sees the, the matrix. He doesn't. Work, yeah. He doesn't feel emotions. He just. Well, it's now, like when you. It's like when a friend starts get becoming like a craft beer person. Oh, all of a sudden yeah. they're just like now they're all about craft beer and all they yeah. ever talk about is hops. And the and worst like, is when they start here? brewing it themselves and you have to taste it and be like, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so do we know now? Do we know what he was feeding the dogs? Uh, why were they following him? Any ideas on that? You'll see. You'll see. Okay. So he's going around church to church, almost like almost like someone at a Comic-Con. Yeah. You know, just going to find out all the different exhibits and really trying to learn. Yeah. I mean, he was learning the entire time. And like Henry said, he was absolutely obsessed. And that obsession had a huge effect on his behavior and how he thought about things. And since it was obvious he had weirdness in his blood, he started doing weird shit that freaked all of the other kids out. Hmm. Now, even as a child, Jim Jones was obsessed with death. One night, he took a bunch of other kids on a field trip to the local casket factory. Cool job. Awesome job. (laughs) And the local casket factory, like everyone else in town, left their doors unlocked so the kids were able to just walk right in. Different time. And once they got inside, Jim directed all the kids to lie down in the coffins so they could all feel like what it was like to be dead. 
Cool. And he didn't do it just once. He did this multiple times. And every time hmm. he did it, fewer and fewer kids came along with him. They didn't want to meditate. <laughs> that, that seems It could be very relaxing. Uh, it is very relaxing to just mime the sweet release of death. Yes. But he also just go in, and it was true, and they said they would eventually watch him go by himself. What are we talking here? 12, 13, 14 years no. old? He's, no, he's, uh, he's pretty young. He's not quite 10. This oh, is like so he's, 9, he's 10. Doing, oh, yeah. okay. So yeah. he's, he's a... Uh, He's a uh, savant. Yeah, of the yeah, uh, of, of the, the leadership art of the disgusting <laughs> of the morbidity creepy, yeah. of yeah of dictator. Yeah, and then there were the animal funerals. Jim would trawl the town looking for the corpses of small animals, and once he found them, he'd invite other kids along, and he'd hold elaborate funeral services. Sometimes in the middle of recess. This guy, I mean, he could have just been a very successful, wealthy televangelist. He's got a Joel Olstein vibe, he a was. Benny Hinn type thing happening. He was. No, I, I, yes, I don't. Well, I know. Obviously, yeah. we'll get into the dark turn here. But yeah. at this point, there are some good things that you could carve into a good person. He You're going to say a lot of things. He was trying to be like the heavy metal version of a preacher for a while, being like, "I walk the walk. I don't go." And I will get into this, but he didn't like the idea of personal like flashiness. Mm. Yeah, and so when those funeral services started freaking out the older kids and they also they stopped coming just like they stopped coming along with them to the casket factory, <laughs> Jim got the bright idea to make the younger kids attend. And those younger kids were just happy for the attention of an older boy at first, but when they tried to leave, Jim would bully them into staying. Uh-oh. And then after that, Jim Jones was introduced to who seems to be his very first hero. Adolf Hitler. Oh, wrong choice. Oh, Jim, you made the wrong choice. Wrong choice there. Was all the other kids, just because it's like a time showing these news rules of World War II. Yeah. And all the other kids are having, they love playing like Americans, running around being like, being the, oh, yeah, I'm I'm here to save all the concentration camps. What are concentration camps, little Billy? I don't know, but we're going to find out soon, I bet. Liberate him, but he didn't uh, ever believe in the ideology that Hitler was spewing. He just liked the presence. It was the style. It was the style. It, yes, it, it was. He never. He, he didn't go Nazi or anything. Absolutely not. No, he had. In fact, that was uh, Nazi beliefs were kind of the opposite of his beliefs. Uh, he just loved the pageantry. He loved the style. He right. watched Adolf Hitler. He watched how the man commanded a crowd, and the way he commanded the crowd, the way he'd go real low and he'd talk real low and then get louder and yeah. whip the crowd up and then bring. Him back down again. He took notes the entire time, and he saw in Adolf Hitler someone to emulate. And he loved Hitler so much that he formed his own little squad of Nazis. And he pretended to be the Fuhrer instead of a member of the Allies, like all of the reasonable kids did. Mm. And when kids his own age again wouldn't participate. Jim Jones drafted the younger ones. It is really, really difficult to get those bigger, older kids into the bunker. It does seem like a, a very strange peanut strip. You know, like, it's, I can see Snoopy just really getting into Hitler and just, like, leading a whole tribe. P-Nazis with yeah. fucking Charlie Brown's kind construction. Boy, Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try 
every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor by Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some chop. Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of chai, and it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. 
And this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. The gym would take these kids out to a secluded area and direct them to goose step while Jim pretended to be Hitler like they were at a Nuremberg rally. Jeez. And when the kids screwed up, Jimmy would hit him in the calves with a branch. He was about 14 when he was doing this. He would have been an incredible record producer. Oh, <laughs> Honestly, if he maybe. wanted to be. Uh, he was. You know eventually, they d- the j- Jonestown, eventually the People's Temple recorded some pretty good albums. They oh, always do. They always do. And they're always fine. The only one was good. The Source Family, which we'll do at some point. They would, That was the best fucking cult albums I've ever heard. It's all jammy. It's got that African. Yep. It's great. Um, I think my favorite is, cult uh, musicians of all time, the Partridge Family. <laughs> they don't get enough credit for what a uh, crazy cult they were. I want to real quick dive into this concept of his interest in the stylistics and the approach of Hitler is that I think that a part of this has got to do with a weird form of either sociopathy or what it would turn into a, some sort of behavior. He was always off. There's, there's to me, there's something even more nefarious about separating the style from the substance of Hitler than just being a Nazi. I think a part of it's a guest you can hate and by the by, by the uh, idolatry, like the, the the ideas behind Nazism, right? And like and filled with this hate, and then eventually either release it or be proven wrong or live your whole life as a person filled with hate. But there's somebody else. There's something else about somebody that cherry picks something like a, a, a thing like a, like the idea of his his speech style or the the pageantry he cherry picks that off the top of one of the, the worst ideologies that existed the nazi idol and and he used it to his own advantage and in some weird way it's almost like fucked up in a worse way where it's just like he uses the the quote unquote the good stuff from the Nazis to and then he'll use it later on too. Yeah, he completely mm. I mean, of course he's also a child when he's watching this, so he's not a very like he doesn't have a very developed mind. Right. But he's not looking at what Hitler's doing. He's looking just at looking style. at how he's yeah. doing it. Right. He sees how Hitler is getting these people all riled up and but he doesn't look at what that sort of style does to people. Mm. He's not paying attention to that at all. The right. shallowness of his style, right? Should they talk about how like that's the thing with Ted Bundy we see all the time and say, and that that weird thing about serial killers, like even the ones that they said had emotions. It's that shallowness that I think mm-hmm. is uh, is like it's weird. It's the banality of evil, kind of. It's like it's like a kind of thing where people well, are just you kind of view it from a like a detached point of but view. But isn't that normal though? That's how you learn. You emulate, and then you you're just a shadow. You're a shell of who you're emulating, and then you fill it with your own personality, your own ideas, your own ideology, right? Yeah. I, I, so, so I mean, it's a smart. It's smart in a way. Well, it's how it, humans learn. Actually, I, I think in. In a, in a way, like Jim Jones, uh, he, as we're going to kind of see, like, I think it's actually, if he hadn't have done evil, like, it's actually a pretty good example of how to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, how no, to, it's how true. to live your life. Like, it very much is. Like, Jim Jones, if he's anything else, he was a successful person. Yep. Uh, but he just chose to use that success for evil. Unfortunately. Rather than good. It was never enough for him, and that was the yeah. problem. And with these young kids uh, that he made play Nazi, 
uh, since an older kid was paying attention to him, the younger kids mostly put up with it. They put up with him hitting him with a switch. And this was one of the most important lessons Jim Jones learned, and he learned it as a teenager. Mm. If the kids your own age don't want to play with you, then you find the ones no one else is paying attention to, and you play with them. Yeah, or you go way old and hang out with (laughs) 75-year-olds. And he did that, too. He did that, too. Yeah, He's on fire (laughs) with finding friends. Yeah, he learned that all you have to do is just give them a little bit of attention, and they'll follow you anywhere. See, unlike most of the serial killers we cover, cult leaders tend to be lethally clever. Mm -hmm. These people are brilliant. Well, they're politicians made, uh, politicians and serial killers combined into one. Yeah, Yeah, it's politicians, serial killers, and then business people. Like, it's a thing, because then you're, essentially, you're forming, like, a company. Like, what what it ended up being, especially this, he has to, like, bring people in, it becomes a a money thing, because then he becomes (laughs) obsessed with money, too. I love the idea of Jim Jones, like, I need to LLC. Uh, (laughs) He did do that. that, that conversation had to be like, so what do you, what's your product exactly? Like a death, like a death call <laughs> well their most impressive skill cult leaders is always that of manipulation jim jones learned it very early on in mm. life but like serial killers jim was also into a bit of animal mutilation Uh-oh. according to the book raven jim once tried to sew a chicken leg onto a duck with a string just to see what would happen it ain't it ain't, it's against God, Jim. You don't want to do that. It doesn't like it, but I wanna, if I saw it on Food Network, oh yeah, I'd be like, slide it over. That's out of bounds. <laughs> Flavor overload. <laughs> but true to the duality of Jim Jones, he tried to take care of animals as well. He just wasn't very good at it. Mm. He kept carrier pigeons and would send them on secret missions, but they all inevitably died, and each one got a funeral. Suicide bombers, huh? <laughs> Kamikaze pigeons. <laughs> But then again, he would also arbitrarily shoot his friend Don Foreman with a BB gun. That is fun. I my am, brother used to do that to me. My brother used to do that to me, and I used to shoot him right back. <laughs> and we had great BB gun wars all ac- all in the basement, all across the home, That's where, and all, all across the neighborhood. And they looked like real guns. Yeah. Nowadays, I would just be shot by the police. Oh, yeah. But back in the 90s, we had freedom. Well, he wouldn't just shoot him with a BB gun. He'd take actual guns, like 22s, and he'd just point them at his friend and just smile and smile. And one time, hmm. he actually shot at his friend Don, and this is very telling of Jim Jones. Don was hanging out at Jim Jones's house, and he's like, all right, well, you know, I got to go. I got to go do my chores. And Jim Jones was pissed off mm-hmm. that he would leave, that he would even think about leaving before Jim Jones let him go. Mm. So as Don was walking away, Jim pointed a twenty-two at him and shot it in his general direction and hit a tree right next to the guy and hit close enough where the bark flew off and hit his friend. Not good. But it's definitely a part of his own weird, his ego was so fragile that he could not um, do an activity that other people weren't into. Is that if other right. people were doing things, if he was doing something he was really into it and somebody rejected it, it's like they rejected him. And yeah. they, mm. they, they would reject the thing. Like, because you didn't like what I was doing, I'm taking personal offense because that means like you're rejecting me. We're just being right. like, no, we just didn't want to play with the fucking chicken leg attached to the duck anymore. <laughs> well, that seems like a fun thing to do, but. This is something throughout his entire life. If someone didn't want to go along with what Jim Jones did, uh, he would consider it a 
personal betrayal. And that would happen every time someone tried to leave his church because people were coming in and out a lot. And every time someone tried to leave, he took it as a personal betrayal. Did he sew a chicken leg to a turkey every time he was upset? <laughs> and then eventually Guy Fieri picked it up. Uh-oh. That's what happens. It turns mm. into that's the first lazy version of the turducken. Guy Fieri. But yes. And by the way, RIP American Grill. Yeah. I went there the final day, December 31st, and you could tell the way its staff was happy to be done. But <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. It was sad. Yes. It was sad. Well, then again, from a young age, Jim Jones seemed to have a genuine interest in equality and social justice. As a teenager, he'd go over to the side of town where all the black people lived. He'd stand on a street corner and preach about everyone being equal in God's eyes. And people listened. Because remember, this is Indiana in the mid-40s. There weren't a whole lot of white people coming over to the black side of town for any reason. It was, and I believe still is, the Klan capital of the the country. It's it's pretty fucking awful. And it it wasn't just people, a white person coming over to their side of town. It was also a white person coming over to preach racial equality. Mm. And although I do think Jim Jones truly believed in racial equality, as many of his followers did, as Mm. all of his followers did, I think... Jim Jones may have also seen in this a path to power. Mm. He saw injustice, yes, but he also saw people that nobody else was paying attention to. It was very smart. He realized both. It was like his own personal Mm -hmm. politics mixed with this. And then what is a stronger game? than a thing that you both, you do believe in yourself. It's not right. horseshit. So at the yeah. very bottom of it's not horseshit. You don't have to spin horseshit. You do believe in what you're doing, but at the same time, it's going to help your bottom line. You find a market, yep. Yeah. An underexploited market. And that's one of the biggest complications in the story of Jim Jones. Mm. I do think he had good in him. I do think he did. At times in his life, he genuinely cared about others and helped them in astonishing ways, especially when it came to race relations. But considering how things eventually played out, you got to ask yourself, did Jim Jones truly try to follow his good intentions but still lost to evil? Mm -hmm. Or was he always a sociopath who just saw a situation to manipulate? Hmm. And I think that's the question we'll wrestle with with this entire series. But I I, I think it's very interesting. I I hate – I don't think people that are good all the way through ever really end up here. I think in the end it was it's got something to do with the shallowness of his choices yeah. to begin with, and we'll get into this. We'll, well get I'm interested to again. see when the turn came because at this point, yeah, it seems like we have potential for an actual good leader. So much great, but so much potential on him. He is a very disappointing figure. So let's get back to Jim's childhood weirdness. He somehow had an extensive knowledge of sex, which joined religion as pretty much the only two things he talked about, although no one really knows how he got the sexual information or if any of it was correct. Mm-hmm. Now, I, w- I feel like you may have come from his mom because his yeah. mom was super into sex and talking about uncomfortable subjects. So I think yeah. maybe it came from her, which has got to be... Gotta really fuck you up later well, on down the line maybe. when your mom's making <laughs> well, you all horny. You know what I mean? Like, it's the it's David Berg shit. I don't think you're supposed to get aroused when you have the conversation with your parents about sex. I don't think you're supposed to, but as uh, Henry just said with David Berg, Sometimes you do. He I did don't know. like it a little bit more than the rest do. Maybe they were talking about it in church also. Sometimes church broaches the subject. God, no. no. I mean, what they say about <laughs> it. They do. <laughs> in my church, we had sex ed. It was very weird. Very weird. Well, well what they said about, uh, what Jeff Gwynn said about uh, Indiana in the road to Jonestown uh, was that, you know, this was a farming community. Sex mm. was everywhere. I mean, yeah. you saw animals having sex with each other oh, all the yeah. time. Chickens you know, you fucking had- dogs. 
dogs. Dogs fucking <laughs> oh cats. Cats fucking people. Crows fucking crows because they are racist. I love crows. <laughs> yeah, and these are also like these are houses with very thin walls. Sometimes yeah. houses with, you know, mom and dad in the same room mm. as uh, the kids. So sex was definitely heard. It was definitely yeah. seen, but it was not talked about. Well, yeah, and it really wasn't like a Red Shoe Diaries level. No. It was definitely like a guy named like Father Ted being like, all right, Mary, roll over. All right, Tetty. Red Shoe <laughs> Diaries. <laughs> that's, a, that's a wild uh, credits and that's the credits and that's an entire Red Shoe Diary uh, and then if you go back David Duchovny was in it uh-huh. I forget the name was it Shannon Tweed yeah Shannon she yeah. was a regular on the Red Shoe Diary yes, I feel like was. on the farm it's called Red Hoof Diaries could be you're on fire well Jim Jones also according to childhood friends quoted in Raven had a real big honker going I can see what it. do you mean Hold on a second. What big honker? He, he had yeah. a, he had a real pig's hog. Yeah, he had <laughs> a set on like down there. Yeah, and Jim would also convince the other kids to have literal pissing contests. But Jim always won, and it was said he could pinch his peen in such a way as to get the stream up over a rooftop. Now, Lanat, is it Lanat, Lanat, <laughs> Luna? Your child. I've never seen a child urinate the way that your child urinates. He's gonna be a leader. I He's told you, my a- son's a great man. You know that I, when the doctor first showed me to him, I said, let's check this out, and I could fit a whole dime in his urethra. <laughs> <laughs> now, his weirdness continued on into high school, where he took his mother's example in bad social habits and wouldn't speak to anyone unless he spoke to them first. Okay. He was also one of those weird kids who wore his Sunday best to school every single day. He was a school character. Like yeah, that yeah. same thing where it's very similar to Jeffrey Dahmer where he got his attention any way that he could. So he would dress up every single day like he was going to church. He would hold funerals well, during recess and he would talk about Jesus all the time. Honestly, I would have another situation where I would have been friends with him at this point. Yeah. Without a doubt, I would have just been like, what can I do, Jim? Like, <laughs> stand there, look fat. I'm like, I can do that, Jim. That's my Jim, best. I can do that. That's what I do best. Now, did he wear one outfit or multiple Sunday outfits? Because that makes a big difference. Uh, it was slacks and a white shirt. I'm sure he had more than one. Okay. Because uh, he, he was always clean. He wasn't like, you know, a dirty kid who, you know, just wore the same shit over and also over again. Also dressing like a Target employee? Is that, <laughs> did Target look at that and be like, that's going to be how we dress all of our employees? <laughs> and sports-wise, Jim was terrible, but he'd always be down for coaching a team. And he did have a knack for organizing. At 14, he put together a basketball league involving all the surrounding towns. He took stats. Everybody loved being a part of it. And it was successful for a while until Jimmy led a puppy to a trapdoor and let it fall to its death during a league meeting. Well... What the heck? No one really knows why. They just they were all hanging out. They were having a league meeting, uh-huh. and Jim was like, "Check this out, guys." Hey, hey guys, it, look. You ever seen an episode of Mr. Bean? I don't. You know, Mr. Bean yet. can live through anything. He can do absolutely anything. And you ever ask yourself, can a puppy live through anything? I don't. I never. I just don't. I named him Mr. Bean. I'm, now yeah. let's see if he survives this episode. Mr. Bean falls down the stairs. I'm just here to. Pl- <laughs> Here to learn pivots and how to there shoot a basket. Um, but he also uh, he's kind of like um, Rushmore. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, just trying, kind of trying to do whatever, you know. All right. Uh, but after he uh, pushed a puppy down a trap door, 
No one wanted to play for Jimmy anymore. What's the point ah. of these trap doors? You always hear about trap doors. Why? They, is, is it goof? For trickery. <laughs> What's the point of a trap trickery door? Trickery and bi- and if you got to get rid of a bunch of pumpkins in one <laughs> go, like the pumpkin the pumpkin sale didn't go well. Oh, we got to take it back out the door. No, no, no. Put them to the trap door. I don't know where the trap door goes. We've heard about trap doors our whole life. I have no idea. What's the point of a trap door? Anyway. Trickery. For what? Trickery. Yes. Tr- yeah, but why? Why <laughs> build it in? Why? Bandits. Bandits come in, you gotta have a place to go. All right. But this whole time, Jim was still focused on church, if not the Lord. Although he was fascinated by all the different services, he was most attracted to the apostolics. Mm-hmm. Now, apostolics are one of the crazier sects known for laying hands and Apost- speaking in tongues. Apostolic sounds like an adult perform. <laughs> it sounds like a triple X film set to like Bethlehem, Bethlehem, and like it's, the wise men are involved. It's about it's the apostolics. Uh, 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 apostolics. Apostolics. Yeah, apostolics is a totally different. This is very strange. Well, I've never heard the goddamn word said. I just read it. All right. No, I think you're right. Yeah. I like I like where you took it. Well, they were extremely. So that's the diaries I would watch. The apostolics. <laughs> well, the apostolics put on extremely theatrical services, and in these, I think Jimmy found the kind of service that combined the messages he enjoyed from the churches with all the excitement and crowd participation of a Nazi rally. But the biggest contradiction was Jim was never really all that interested in the concept of God itself. Hmm. Like I said, he was not concerned with the why of preachers and churches. He was more interested in the how. Well, it's because Hmm. his mom was an atheist. And she was a very rare atheist at the time, too. And because his father said nothing, she just pumped this kind of stuff into him. So he came out. And I love this concept of he hates hates the sky god. Yeah, that's what he would say. He didn't care about this sky god. He was extremely (laughs) condescending with all of this shit. You you know exactly who this guy is. Uh, He would have done great in college in 1997. Absolutely. (laughs) Christopher Hitchens and he could get along and talk a lot. Oh. Oh, yeah, he's been he's been a lot of time on Reddit these days. Yes, well, a bit of a warhawk, Christopher Hitchens. Other than that, I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, Jim Jones. I mean, he was more interested in the actual teachings of Jesus, the helping mm. the poor, sharing and living equally. In other words, the inherently socialist nature of Christianity. Sure, sure. In fact, Jim Jones, he was an atheist as well, which is one of the reasons why he took a little detour before becoming a man of God. And while on that detour, he would meet his wife. Marceline. All right. Marceline has seemed nice. Marceline seemed very nice. That's a great name. I like Marceline. I don't think I've ever heard that as a name before. I haven't either. It's a very uh, nice name, mm-hmm. and she was a nice woman. Okay, good. So in 1947, Jim's father died of respiratory failure. Mm. By this time, Jim and his mother had already moved on to Richmond, Indiana, leaving old Jim behind as if he never meant a thing to him, and he probably hadn't. And the saddest thing is his father died the same day he finally got four aces. <laughs> Four aces in one hand, and he passed away that day. And Kenny Rogers was actually playing the game with him. Oh! And he went, oh! Like, and he started scribbling down with the quill. Up and like, what you writing, Kenny? The best song in the world about doing dumb shit. <laughs> how, do you think, how, how suicidal is Kenny Rogers having to sing that song? Or do you think he's come full circle now where he appreciates the millions and millions of dollars it's brought He him? loves that song. Yeah. He loves that song. Yeah, unironically, he knows. Okay, it paid for his entire puffy face. Everything is just filled with stem cells. But it, it is good they got to know when to fold them. Now, neither Jim nor Lynetta attended 
old Jim's funeral. And in the last oh. years of old Jim's life, Lynetta took multiple lovers. But even so, old Jim still got a big tombstone with his wife's name etched next to his in the vain hope that although she left him in life, she'd join him in death. Okay. She did not. She did not. not. They literally just acted like he didn't exist. As soon as they both left town, they were just like, fuck it. And then he just died alone at the pool hall. Yeah. Yeah. His epitaph is, I mean, it's for some reason one of the saddest I've ever read. It just says. You got to know when to hold him. I didn't know when to hold them. Um, It it just says, everyone in the world is my friend. That's so sad. (laughs) That's so sad. But it's also sweet if everyone was his friend, then it would be really nice. It's very very sweet, but if it was like Bob Barker's tombstone. Yeah, yeah, because he had many friends. friends. (laughs) Did Bob Barker die? Yeah, he did. He died, right? I think. I think. I think he committed suicide <laughs> by cop. I'm not really sure. No, he did I don't something know about that. Over the plinko? Um, yeah. But he did, uh, he just sat at the bar alone. He had no real friends. Uh, and that's kind of reminds me of, a, you remember the movie Barfly? Of course. That's based off the life of Charles Bukowski. Yes. Mm-hmm. With what's his, I forget what, Mickey Rourke plays him. And yes. he goes, this was from my friends. This was from my friends. Like, just like pointing out to the whole bar and everyone's just trying to avoid eye contact with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's always one of those sad guys at the old bar. Yeah. Uh, one thing they did do, though, they did not bring, uh, they did not bring Lynetta back to, um, Back to Indiana, because uh, she did die in Jonestown before the uh, mass murder, oh, okay. but she did die in Jonestown. Uh, but still, for some reason, uh, they still etched her year of death and date of death on that tombstone that was right next to, oh, that she shared well, with old An Jim. analogy for how shallow the entire Jones family was. Yeah. It's the only thing that makes a gravedigger sad is an empty Unwritten on tombstone. Yep. He has to do something. He's just like, something. I handle bones and corpses all day long. I will not see a tombstone with writer's block. <laughs> so when Jim and Lynetta arrived in Richmond, they were no longer getting financial help from old Jim's family as they once were. So Jim had to get a job alongside. Lynetta, and he got a job as an orderly at Reed Memorial Hospital. And he turned out to be surprisingly fantastic at this job and seemed to relish in taking care of the most disgusting aspects like cleaning up vomit, moving around dead bodies, and disposing of amputated limbs. Someone's got to do it. Yeah, someone's got to do it. And he saw the gap of being like, if I go do this with a smile on my face, I'm going to move, I'm going to work my way up really high in this hospital. Sure. Yeah. And Jeff Gwynn, he wrote that Jim would even make things like changing adult diapers and giving sponge baths, he'd make them fun. Well, how he could just, you? He'd just have fun with it. Whistle. I'm going to say this. <laughs> Honestly, um, in any other context, I don't ever really want an orderly who makes sponge baths fun. Why it's not? like having a funny dentist. I don't need a funny dentist. Ugh, I hate a funny dentist. like a funny I dentist. I hate a funny dentist. There, it can be fun. The experience, <laughs> you honestly, should have a laugh. Once I'm so fully debased that I'm in a in a, a warm bath and my family is no longer involved with me and they are cleaning shit from my hole. <laughs> I don't want any 
fucking yucks. I want this to be a business-like procedure that is done as fast as fucking possible. I don't want you running your your late-night tight five on me. Well, I can't feel my goddamn feet anymore, and no one's here to take care of me. And I know you, and I know for a fact you are going to love it. You are going to (laughs) like... Yeah, 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 yeah. Like how red it is? Because I've been eating a lot of beets. Yeah, yeah, I like to change the color of it, and I can do it by anything I eat. I'm making this fun. I'm the one who makes Beth's fun. A nightmare. And speaking of just having fun with it, Jim also managed to get a job for his childhood friend, Don Foreman. Although this was not fun for Don. Jim picked right back up where he left off in torturing his old friend. He knew Don was deathly afraid of the dark, so Jim made sure to assign him shifts in the darkest depths of the hospital. Conquer your fears. <laughs> I don't know, man. Is because it, he's also at this point, like, I have learned only, well, other than the, uh, the small animal mutilation, but at this point, he's not the worst guy on earth. I guess, his mom no, isn't he's, that bad. I feel worse for his father. Yeah. I know he's um, married. He's taking care of the elderly. Jim, I just gotta say, been a long time. Been, been a long time. Been friends long time. Um, it's really been great just being around you. Thank you so much for the job, but um, I feel like maybe we could deal with a little bit less of the punking, a little bit of the pranking, and maybe we could uh, just be like normal friends, you know? <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> See that light switch over there. Why don't you go turn that light switch? Just turn it to off. <laughs> and But uh, I kind of said uh, said something here, Jim. I said, how like maybe uh, I don't really want to do something like that, you know what I mean? Because sometimes things give the heebie-jeebies about being in the dark, you know, so... Just turn it off. <laughs> I don't really understand what I'm supposed to be learning here, Jimbo. I don't really understand. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and another time, Jim made Don go into the room of an old man who had elephantitis of Ooh. the scrotum oh. just to make him squirt. Now this, listen, these Jim, balls were so big, they they drugged the ground. Now oh listen, my Jim, goodness. I, I want to say just straight up top again, thank you for the job. Um, it's been, again, a really long time. Friends, it's, it's fun to be around you. You really know how to yuck it up. You dress nice, but um, I'm really I'm not really comfortable in front of an old man with regular balls. I don't <laughs> I don't really want to be in front of a man with big, grotesque, deformed ball. Is that just me? Maybe I'm being difficult. Maybe I'm being judgmental. Yeah. You see that light switch? Yeah. Turn it off. <laughs> oh, anything could happen to me now. As soon as it's dark. <laughs> Elephantitis. Oh my God. There's that. Is you ever that BBC show? I think it's just called Strange Bodies. Yeah. Or it is. I saw an elephantitis of the balls. And oh yeah. My God, that looks painful. It looks extremely painful. Yes. Wow. But even though Jim spent a lot of time fucking with his friend, he was fantastic with old people. Jones was excellent at bedside manner and can make even the most difficult patient smile. Years later, he would use these skills to attract elderly people to his congregation, as elderly people actually made up a large part of people's temple. Hmm. See, Jim Jones took every single experience in his life, paid particular attention to his strengths, and used every single one of them. He was constantly learning what worked and what didn't. Almost like a sociopath, which is the reason why they talk about CEOs of companies showing like signs of psychopathy and psychopathology is because you have to be able to so good at commercial. So you can't be wrapped up in emotions and shit in order to do stuff like this all the time. He was right. so capable that it's scary. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, this guy... He turned out to be evil. He absolutely did. And that's right. one of the tragedies of Jim Jones is like using these skills, he could have 
very easily been a great man. Yeah, it seems like he's doing some good service at this point. He really is. So it's while working at the hospital that Jim met his first and only wife. And although she would be far from his last lover, he would be her first and last, as far as we know. That's all she needed. (laughs) Marceline Baldwin came from a stable Christian family that was often involved in local politics and civic matters, which Marceline would use to great advantage later on. Now, she did have a bit of a wild streak in her, but Uh again, in Indiana, all that meant was she once, as Gwen writes, shocked her family by saying she was going to vote a straight Democratic ticket. Oh! (laughs) Oh! Oh, my heart. Oh, my heart. (laughs) She also seemed to not show much interest in boys. That is, until she met Jim Jones. He's a man. (laughs) See, Marceline was a nursing student, and one night she was tasked with preparing the body of a woman for the undertaker. Mm. And which orderly should help her but Jim Jones? So perhaps somewhat prophetically, Jim and Marceline Jones, who would together lead 909 people to their death... Met over a corpse. Wow. Yeah, and he just made it fun. <laughs> he did. Because he'd go up to the fun. corpse and he'd probably be like, oh, look, it's like she's alive. And then he'd pick her up and dance her around. He's like, oh, this is like that Tom Petty song. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, 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 look. And, and she's the- like, Jim, you are the living end. <laughs> and then are the- we? Am I partnered with Kevin Hart because you've just made this fun. And then the undertaker came in and pile-drived her and tombstoned her. See, but Marceline, she's an extremely complicated woman as well, as we'll see. Unlike Jones, Marceline did not want all this to end in death. And in fact, Mm. she tried to stop him in the end. She believed in the message and she believed in Jim Jones. Mm. What impressed her most that first night was how kind and gentle Jim was with the family of the dead girl. And I think when Marceline saw how Jim acted that night, left such an impression on her that she figured anybody who that had that sort of compassion had to be good. Hmm. It's almost like Jim Jones instinctively knew that about everybody, and he knew that people would therefore believe anything that he said as long as he did some of the most very intense and personal care at the hospital and he would learn that later on too it's being like well so by leading by example he can then also get everybody to trust and do whatever the fuck it is that he wanted so because of that moment marceline essentially became the first follower of jim jones Mm. and despite his many glaring flaws marceline always followed him even when she didn't agree because she believed in the message. Now, is it like Fight Club where you know the big booby Bob did the, <laughs> did the guy with elephantitis for balls? Did did he go or elephantitis balls? Did he follow second? He died. He did die. Yeah, he oh, died. He died. God. But I also yeah, he's all be like Marceline, I can't help but see you're you're dating old Jim there. You know, I I'm going to say um there's a lot to be said with the man who's got basketballs for testicles because you know what they say what by the size of a man's testicles if he got big testicles he's gonna need bigger pants <laughs> i just i'm looking this for is- an in here marceline <laughs> just please just gonna just date me just date me shit's gonna go bad i know it's gonna go bad so Jim manipulated Marceline just like everyone else, mm. and she was extra susceptible because she had no experience with men at all. He told stories and lies to build himself up into something great, just like his mother did. 
Jim told Marceline that he quit the high school basketball team because the coach was racist, oh. even though Jones was never a part of the basketball team. Okay. And he also said that he walked out of a barber shop with half his hair cut for the exact same reason. All right, he's a hero. Well, no, that's what he did. Again, it's when your relationship's formed on a lie, and then this shit wouldn't come out for until years into their relationship yeah. that she started seeing that all of those stories were horseshit. Yeah. Ah, yes. But Marceline's family, however, was not as impressed with Jim Jones as Marceline was. He'd get into screaming arguments with her family at the slightest provocation. He had the mouth of a sailor, oh. and he just generally gave off a weird vibe. Like, almost everyone in Marceline's life, from her family to her friends, looked at Jim and said, why him? I if Listen to your family <laughs> when it comes to your partner. And I really do believe, I yeah. believe this wholeheartedly, if everybody around you, Right. Is saying this person's a problem because we, you know, last podcast left. We've always been on the the uh, the idea that serial killers and these people are never the quiet ones. You never not see it coming. Right. You always see it coming. <laughs> it's always the it's they're right. always weird. Yeah. If they're gonna do fucked up shit, they've been fucked up forever. They just got finally the weird green light to do the fucked up shit. So it wasn't healthy arguing, though. It wasn't like a healthy debate. No, it absolutely was, not. Was just no, got, it was getting angry. Yeah, it was just, I mean, he'd just fly off the handle at the slightest provocation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like Henry said, if your family says he's bad, if your friends say he's bad, or, or she, person, yeah, yeah, he or she, if they say that this person is bad, Listen to them. 99.9% of the time, yeah. Yeah. But back then, what Marceline's family and friends thought was that if she saw something in, in him, because she was such a good person, she was so sweet, if she saw something in him, mm-hmm. then there must be something there. They're wrong! <laughs> Tell the court they're wrong! Tell the jury they're wrong! <laughs> well, while the two of them were dating, Jim decided he wanted to be a hospital administrator because oh. he was very good at being an orderly. And he saw, and he didn't really want to go to med school, sure. but he figured that one day he could work his way up into running a hospital. He couldn't be a doctor, so he'd be the guy that told the doctors what to do. And then when he's like 75 and he's in one of those rooms being taken care of from a ner- by another nurse, he'd be like, I finally made it to the top of the food chain. <laughs> finally now did I- it. I am the one being taken care of. <laughs> so, in order to get there, Jim Jones started taking classes at Indiana University in Bloomington. Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Uh-oh. And while there, his roommate said his roommate said he woke up one night from a spot in the top bunk with a sharp pain in his back. Jim Jones was on the bottom bunk. And at first, the guy on the top bunk thought it was just a loose wire in his mattress. But then he heard this weird hissing sound coming from the bottom bunk. (laughs) And when he looked down there, he saw Jim Jones working a hat pin in and out of the mattress going, (laughs) go to sleep, go to to fuck back to sleep. Oh, my God. It is very PCU. Um, Jim, honestly, I just, um, I got a big test tomorrow. And... Again, this is uh, ow, ow. It is not cool. It is not. It is not fun for me. It's a little fun. I see that you're smiling. So he's using his roommate like a pin cushion. We don't know why. No idea why. Okay. Absolutely he's no fun. idea. He's having fun. He, he's just having okay. fun. Now all this shit did not deter Marceline. And the two were married on June 12th, 1949, in one of those weird double weddings that people used to do. Double wedding? Double wedding, Who yeah. Who else got they married? They used to do uh, Marceline's sister. Oh. I think her name was Edith. Really? Yeah. Okay, double wedding. Now, after the two got married, Marceline found that Jim was not quite the Christian that she thought that he was. <sighs> now, as we said earlier, Jim Jones was an atheist and a dickhead one at that. Uh-oh. But Marceline 
who was a devout Methodist, didn't know that. Huh. It wasn't until after they were married that Jones told her that he could not believe in a loving God who allowed so much suffering in the world. Well, why didn't this conversation be broached? Uh, you think they would have gotten to this on the first or second date? He, he lied he to her. straight up lied to her. Oh, yeah. I yeah. see. And he was such a dick about it. And you know what kind of guy I'm talking oh about here. God. Oh, yeah. He's nothing was, worse than a, a, an evangelical atheist. He was such a Bill Maher about it, oh, let's say. Oh, God. That Marceline started considering divorce pretty soon into the marriage. Okay. But as this was the 50s, her mother talked her out of it. Mm. The terrible thing is, had Marceline left Jim Jones, if she would not have been by his side every step of the way, especially in these early years, it's almost certain that Jim Jones would not have gotten anywhere near as far as he did. She had the power, right? She's the political fam. She helped him out. She The lessons that she gave, we'll get into it, the civic lessons that she gave mm. him helped him endlessly. The woman behind the man. Okay. So if Jim Jones was an atheist, why did he become a preacher? Hmm. The answer... It's almost like preachers are liars. <laughs> no! 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 No way, Kissel! The answer is socialism. Oh, Jim Jones was a socialist in that he believed all things should be shared by all people, but wasn't so much of a socialist in that he thought the decisions shouldn't be made by anyone but him. Right. That's a, that's a common theme. Yes. yes. Yeah. He's a socialist. Everyone should be sharing everything, but I'm uh, going to be the one that tells you how to share. Exactly. exactly. And this is what kind of, and this met, but the Methodist church change is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What eventually turned Jim back to the pulpit was a new stance by the Methodist church. Okay. And in 1952, the Methodist church reformed to a more progressive creed. They wanted, quote, the alleviation of poverty, the right of collective bargaining, free speech, prison reform, full employment, and racial integration, which See, is a, a lot great, of great thing. Great attitude for a church to have. Hell, back when I had the faith, I was a Methodist. That's right. what my family okay. was. But this is what he realized, because he said he saw the whole. Like, he sees it everywhere. Mm -hmm. he, he figured out where to go, right. which is the people's problem. His problem with church and a lot of people's problem with church is that you go, you got a, you got a bunch of talk about God, but you get nothing out of it. Mm -hmm. You don't actually receive any pragmatic, any anything from church. Yeah. So he realized being like, we got to create a, a place that we call a church. That really what it is is a place where you come to me with problems right. and we figure out together how to fix the problem. What if we call it like the Young Men's Club of America? The YMCA. <laughs> oh. Yeah, see, Jim, he saw in the Methodist Church in this new creed, he saw a path to the socialistic society he'd always sure. wanted, and it didn't matter that he had to use God to get there. Right. Which again showed these the shallowness of the choice of just being like, oh, I'll just be a preacher, which is in the industry so you you are supposed to be believe inherently that the preacher believes in this shit the most yeah so so just taking that what i'm gonna say is that that central lie which is in the lie of the hearts of many of these fucking piece of shit priests and preachers is that it's that a gradual separation between the person you're pretending to be and the person who you are is what's going to cause massive fucking problems for you no matter what and it's going to make you inherently a corruptible and bad person sure yeah so in trying to find his voice as a preacher, Jim started visiting black churches, and he liked what he saw. He loved the energy, the singing, the fact that there was no time limit, the welcoming atmosphere, everything about it. It's right. what he had always wanted in a church. And again, he saw something he could take advantage of. But the time wasn't quite right just yet. He still had more to learn. And where should he learn it but the revival circuit? All right. 
Now, even though they don't really exist in America in the form or size that they once did, revivals were an important part of American Christianity for decades. Oh, yes. Yeah, this is where the whole, like, evangelical megachurches come from. This is from. where they, they, they push you over. And yeah. they're like, the, the, the spirit did it. But I know I had to do that. Yeah. I had to fall over. And then he pushed me over. God, that must have been <laughs> so hard. Trick. Where he pushed you once and you're like 300 what? pounds just staring at him and be like, why are you pushing me? What? And you're like, and he's like, fall over. Yeah. Fall over, Benjamin. You just got to pretend. It's like wrestling. It's like wrestling, Ben. I did. That's exactly how I thought of it. And then my parents were very pleased. <laughs> but back in the day, revivals usually consisted of traveling preachers, either setting up outdoor tents or renting out large halls to preach the Lord. And they tended to be a hell of a lot more exciting than your regular Sunday services. This right. was entertainment, but also entertainment in the name of the Lord. Right. And one of the main features of a revival was faith healing. Mm. Preacher would find a person with an ailment, call him up to the front, yell at him a lot, right. and poof, the person would be cured. If, yeah. if, I could, if that could happen, no one in, our, in my home would ever suffer a sickness. If we could just yell it out. <laughs> it would be terrible for the pharmaceutical and uh, hospital industries. Yeah, and Jones picked up on all this right away. Now, of course, these healings aren't real. Sometimes no. a person might be, quote-unquote, cured, but in all cases, it's psychosomatic, and most often it's temporary. You get an adrenaline rush because you're on stage, mm -hmm. you're yeah, you're on your stage. idol, and a lot of times they get more hurt because you're not supposed to be freaking walking. Of course not, <laughs> and jumping up and down. Good Lord. And when it's a big healing, like a person standing up from a wheelchair and zooming around the room, uh -huh. that person's a plant. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's all, oh, that's yes, all yes, nonsense. Yes. But in the beginning of Jim's career, he had no accomplices, oh, so he my. had to find another oh, way. Okay. Yes, dude. And he realized this shit early on. He did it like a leap of faith, yeah. the Steve Martin movie. Uh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He would use his talent of memorization. Before the revival, Jim would mill around in the crowd. He'd listen for names and complaints, and when he heard someone talking about their ailment, he'd pay close attention. Then, when he went on stage, he'd wait until just the right moment, then call out the person's name along with whatever it was that was bothering him, and he wouldn't be able to, quote-unquote, heal at first, but pretty soon, wherever he went, he left behind stories of the amazing mind-reading preacher. And all of this shit, when you know he was reading, my, when he was listening to people and was calling them out into the audience or from the audience with their elements and all that, this is a skill he eventually perfected. Mm. Now, this is him doing the same trick in one of his sermons about a decade later. All right, Sister Ingram, you're concerned about the losing. Losing of your sight. You've told me nothing about your condition. Is that no, correct? No, I haven't. You're not able to see me clearly. Things just blur to you. You have to stumble around lately through crowds and are not able to see even people's faces close up to you clearly. You know what I think is interesting, too, about the book? The book kind of made me realize, because I never really thought about the relationship between the revival churches and like the legit churches is that when he went to go work for the Methodists because he wanted to be a Methodist pastor he didn't have the juice to get it going like kind of like basically they say you have to kind of go build your own congregation right and then bring it to the church and then we kind of like we essentially buy it like a Burger King, like a, like you do like one of those installment companies. And it's like Revivalist Church is kind of like the open mic circuit for stand-ups. Yeah. It's like you go and learn your bit. 
doing the revivalist churches and then you take it to legit church. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. Like what we, what we did with the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But the Methodist church, like, I mean, the establishment did not want Jim Jones. They didn't like him. Yeah, no. well, because it was on his, it was always on his terms. Everything right. was always on Jim Jones's terms. All right. Yeah, because that's the thing is that all this spectacle, it did not sit well with the Methodist Church. Now we don't know exactly why he was kicked out. Mm. The Joneses said it was because they were trying to integrate, and the Methodists were, yeah, they they just weren't uh, receptive to it. The Methodists say that it was because Jim Jones was stealing from the collection plate. Uh, I mean, really. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that feels like, yeah, because that shit could kind of like, you see these little whispers at the very beginning that Jim Jones kind of is like taking money to do some shit that he says is for the church. Right. And there's a lot of rumors coming this way, but he covers it with saying, well, they just don't want to integrate fast was, enough. Well, was he using the money for good? Did he have a Robin Hood type clim- it complex may have been going here? Because he did do that for a while. Well, Jeff, uh, Jeff Quinn actually made makes a, a pretty good point in that like it's neither one of these are probably true oh. you know it was probably just like kind of an amicable ending but of course everybody because 25 he wasn't yeah, a maid well the thing was is that like jim jones like and marceline jones they said that at first to of course like save face and then it wasn't until like decades later when the fbi really started looking into jonestown that the methodist church are like oh yeah he was stealing. Uh, He's a bad person. I see. Yeah, it wasn't. It, Unlike yeah. the church, they don't steal. <laughs> no, he, he just didn't have the juice. Yeah. yeah, he didn't have the juice. Yeah, he, he showed up and he just wasn't well enough. He, you have, you have, it's politics. All, yeah. Every institution has politics, so you have to be around. Your face has to be in the mix for a while until you're pulled into being sure. ahead of a church. Yeah. But either way, Jim Jones parted ways with the Methodist Church and struck out on his own to the impoverished inner cities of Indianapolis opened up a storefront church, and named it Community Unity. All right, it's got a, is that a rhyme? That's a rhyme. Community Unity, Community yeah. Unity. And because Community Unity was in the inner city, Jones's congregation was almost entirely black. Now, Indianapolis in the 50s was not a violent place, racially speaking, but it definitely wasn't progressive either. Hmm. Separate but equal was the law of the land in Indianapolis. And while white people didn't actively harass black people like they did in, say, Alabama, they didn't particularly want them around, nor did they give a shit about their well-being either. Hmm. The white leaders of the city would at least meet with black community leaders, mostly pastors, and the white community uh, leaders would give lip service and they'll tell them, we'll see what we can do. But nothing ever changed. Right. I think the term was is that uh, access does not equal accountability. Yes. That was like the kind of thing that mm-hmm. they basically would just give them access and they'd be like, you see, we listen to you, and then not do anything. Right, which yeah. is almost And so worse. essentially, like, they needed someone to come from the inside the system out yeah. to fix their shit. Yeah, and Jim Jones, in this respect, I got to give him credit. You know, whether it was for truly altruistic reasons or not, Jim Jones did a hell of a lot on behalf of the black community in Indianapolis during his time there, even though it did start off small at first. Mm. This is how he built his congregation. He'd start off the sermon by asking people what was bothering him. The example Jeff Gwen gives in the road to Jonestown was of an old woman who was having trouble getting service from the electric company. Mm. Now, even though she was still paying all of her bills on time, she she could never get anyone to come out to fix the blackout she was having. Right. So Jim Jones sat down with her and the rest of the con- congregation and they outlined all of her grievances in a letter. And you might not think that this would be much, that it's you know, just, just writing yeah. a letter might not do a lot. But sure enough, when the woman came back the next week, her lights were on. Boom. And then he did this with another person, 
and another and another and another organizer. And this was his whole thing is that you come to church and you come away with something, and then you realize that like you 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 give something. But I, because he's an atheist, he's not selling him a false bill of goods. He's actually he is actively he is. He no, but he did get this woman. It's a tangible. Gift. It's a she tan- has she has lights yeah, now. But he's still saying that he's a, a man of God. He's not no, telling I them know, he's an atheist. But but uh, the people who were like claimed to be like uh, all up into God. That's that's the only thing they give you. Yeah. But I mean, this guy is giving tangible rewards and tangible gifts, which, as you just said, I mean, is something we have to. Uh, uh, that's an accomplishment. But he's mm-hmm. still doing it with a lie, right? So well, right now it's great. Yeah, but it's like yeah, as things sure. grow, we're going to see how that lie makes things right. really complicated. Yeah, yeah, and you know, pretty soon in the community, word started to spread about this guy. And as Jim Jones himself said, you know, heaven was all well and good, but there was really no reason to wait until you died to get your reward to get justice. I in mean, other words, is is heaven a place on earth? <laughs> is that Ooh, a- baby? You know what it's worth. Was also <laughs> she, Tiffany must have been a member of the original community unit. Maybe she was. <laughs> yeah, what Jim Jones said was community unity was a church where you get something now. I like that. Yeah, and to a community that was used to never getting anything, right? that was extremely appealing. But since it was just a small church at first, Jim Jones had to do something to make ends meet. Uh-oh. Jim Jones. <laughs> Where this is this going? This is completely true. If this has anything to do with dancing erotically at night, I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> Better than that. He sold spider monkeys door to door for 29 bucks each. <sighs> Honestly, whatever he did later in his life is kind of, this is, a, this is adorable. <laughs> Two things here. Number one, twenty nine dollars is quite a bit for the nineteen fifties. It was, a, a oh, but it's a spider monkey. How I, many I, were I, there? No, I checked out the inflation calculator. It was like two hundred and sixty bucks. That's cheap for a spider. That's monkey. That's worth it. I think it's a lot to spend on a, any sort of spider monkey. <laughs> Even just it's choosing to spend it for the spider monkey. Oh, it's cute. Also, second of all, how does the spider monkey supply <laughs> get to you? Well. Who are the who are the, where do you get your question. product from? How do you go like how do they transport it? Yep. How difficult is it to keep it in your house? Just the world's where do you keep these spider monkeys? The world's itchiest underground dealer in his coat is just lined with spider monkeys like come into this alley. I got something to show you. Just sell these fucking spider monkeys and get them off my hands. I feel like that's the sales pitch. Like, that's it. Hey, hello, hello, thank you for having me in your home. There is fifty spider monkeys in my vault. <laughs> I need you to get them the fuck out of you this Volvo, please, in love of God. You are and scabs, sir. They are everywhere. Yeah. They thought my balls were a pile of grapes. <laughs> I need to get these out of my hands. I'll take them all. <laughs> well, even the spider monkeys ended up gaining Jim Jones' new followers. Uh, of course. This is a, of course. This is a, tes- this is a testimony from uh, a woman uh, from the PBS documentary about Jonestown. The first time I met Jim Jones was Easter 1953. My mother-in-law, Edith Cardell, had a monkey and it hung itself. And she wanted to replace the monkey. So she looked in the Indianapolis Star. And in that Indianapolis Star was Jim Jones's ad that he had some monkeys to sell. So it was through that that she met Jim Jones and came back saying that he'd invited her to church this next Sunday. 
Never do anything your monkey salesman tells you to do. Also, I got to say, if you're Jim Jones and you're selling monkeys, you got to ask, so what happened to your other monkey? Oh, it hung itself? What are the conditions of your home that aren't good enough for a monkey to want to live? We're just handling, we're just handing monkeys out to anybody. You drove a monkey God. to suicide, and now you're just going to get another one? Did it befriend this is a like spider? my mother with did a dog. Did the spider make a is... noose out of its web? How did the monkey hang itself? That's so difficult. So difficult. For it, number one for it to learn eternal despair. Right. Then for it to Robin Williams itself I mean, in order it's, to get out of the house. Just had to go. So sad. Uh, besides just the monkeys, to further supplement his income, Jim Jones continued on the revival circuit where he was becoming a fairly well-known name as a healer as he'd improved his act quite a bit from the simple mind reading days. So he's a healer and a monkey salesman. <laughs> I, I'm so on. Right now I am about to go to C-Town and get flavoring. <laughs> this sounds good. Now, there was a, such a buzz that in Cincinnati, Jim Jones drew a crowd 1,000 strong, and wow. still 200 people had to be turned away. Wow. And eventually, Jim Jones started picking up true believer followers. Among the first were Joe and Clara Phillips, who were convinced that Jim had cured their son's heart defect, although it was most likely just an early misdiagnosis. Okay. They were joined by Edith Cordell, the monkey woman, who believed Jones <laughs> yes. also had cured her arthritis. Hey, all right. Also, I needed a direct line to those sweet, sweet monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't just people who were healed who were drawn to Jim Jones. A lot of them were attracted by his message of racial equality. Yeah. Jack Beam and his wife, Rhea Viana, joined Jim Jones in 1954 after their church rejected integration. Oh, my. And to give you an idea of how dedicated these people were, both Jack and Rhea Viana died by Jim Jones's side in Jonestown 24 years later. Uh, by their own volition. By the, oh, very Absolutely. much by yeah. their own volition. Like, Absolutely, because they believed that he was doing good. Right. And that's how you get him. In the yeah. end, like, that's that's what it, it all thing got twisted. Yeah. I mean, in I, the at, 60s. At this point, it seems like he is doing some good. These bigoted churches, he's the only one reaching out. He's selling monkeys once again. <laughs> he's so there do, is a lot of positive things happening. He's doing a lot of good, and even his best work is still ahead of him. At this point, see, I mean, these people, you know, Jack this is Bean, the strangest cult leader, though, because I don't recall having like legitimately a person trying to do good. Yes. Like the, everyone else was more fraudulent in some ways. More fraudulent. I mean, they were just and they were a lot of them were just interested in sex. Right. Uh, they were just interested in power. So something very altruistic. He's doing means justify the end stuff, though. It's since the very beginning. Right, right. He was. Yeah. yeah. He was. And so it just, it did technically start that way. Okay. Yeah. And these people, I mean, they were good people. They believed in him because they believed that he was doing good. And even when he was lying and cheating, they told themselves this is all for the greater good. Sure. And this started in the earliest days. They started making the allowances immediately. They're giving a little every every um, week, huh? Immediately. Yeah, because you forget all the healing shit is bullshit. Yeah. All the, all well, the healing yeah. stuff is not real. Yeah, and they and that's the thing is the people like, you know, Jack Beam and Rhea Viana, uh, the cancer removals. You know, they saw that they yeah. knew all of the healing and all that shit. They knew everything that he did at the revivals was total bullshit. Right. But now that he had dedicated followers that followed him for a totally different reason, he had plants. But is even if it's psychosomatic, though, and you, you, if you do feel better, 
you know, there is something to that. I mean, that, it's yeah. a lie. It, it is a it lie. It is a lie, but it's if it still were, a lie. It, well, no, I, I mean, it never I, the, really the, works. The mind, is a, the mind is an interesting thing. No, people will, they will their pain away sometimes. Like yeah. psychosomatic, like placebos, sure. you know, placebos will work yes. sometimes, uh, even though it is a placebo. You know, like the, the power of the mind right. uh, is an amazing thing. It's true, but when it comes down to a straight up lie, you get that check in the end. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. <laughs> you kick, you're just kicking the can, dude. You kick the can. So Jim had plans, but the thing is about plants is you just can't give a hobo 20 bucks and hope he can act. No, you need a performer. Yeah. And in, not just that, but in order for people to actually believe it, you can't have someone that just shows up, gets healed and leaves. Right. You have to have someone that the congregation knows and that the congregation trusts. This is tough to do. Yeah. Now, now first, Jim would take two people into his confidence and let him know the plan ahead of time. But he never asked the godly folk. It was always those that thought the God stuff was just a means to an end mm. who were in on the plan. Well, you know, sometimes in order to entice people into a restaurant, you got to have fake food on the outside. <laughs> and the food inside is very real. I want real food. I want to see the real food. I don't go to restaurants that have fake food well, the, on the outside. But the outside is That's fake. Olive Garden. That's what brings you in. No, you're talking. <laughs> I know. I mean, Apple ooh, Olive Garden sounds good. Olive Garden's great. Yeah. Unlimited breadsticks. It's sticks. fine. Unlimited <laughs> soup. Although, how many breadsticks and soup can you have? A lot. And they do cut you off, by the way. <laughs> I do. learned that. Carabas uh, is technically the higher quality chain. And then if you want to really go for big to break the bank, Maggiano's. Yeah. Ooh, oh, yeah. Maggiano's. So during the sermon, after Jim had already gone over this plan with two people, he'd call out the, one of their names, say, you got cancer, and have the second plant escort them to the bathroom. Jones would then tell them to essentially take a dump. Okay. And he would work his magic from on stage. So I could not, wait. I would not be able to to help <laughs> yeah. actually taking a shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> and after a plausible amount of time, the duo would come back with a bloody, smelly mass <laughs> wrapped up in a napkin. And we're told that the congregate had passed the cancer. That's not how it works. You don't crap cancer. (laughs) Well, if Jim Jones is in charge of your congregation, you do. And they said that that bloody mass was the evidence. I would have stood up and I would have said, that's dookie, Jim. <laughs> it's dookie. Actually, and then was... Jim would have been like, you want a spider monkey? You'd be like, I will sit down and I will shut up and I will take my spider monkey. Let me help the organization, please. Well, the what the mess was, it was chicken guts. Oh. Yeah, and, and they'd allowed the chicken guts to just rot a little, so it smelled terrible. Uh, but the way they took care of people not looking at it too close was saying that the past cancer was highly infectious oh. and nobody should get close to it. And as far as the person who was carrying it around went... It was taking Jim Jones, taking every bit of his power to make sure that that person was not infected. But nobody else. I cannot protect all of you. I can only protect my man, Jack. Oh, I like this guy. You should. You could have taken one of my dumps from this morning. I had a bunch of foie gras last night. And I tell you what, it's nice going in, but going out it's it not, is what it is. It's not even <laughs> nice going in. Yeah, it is. So, so nice as meat butter. <laughs> <laughs> So the combination of working these supposed miracles on the road while actually helping people out with their con- with their problems back in Indianapolis meant that Jim's congregation was rapidly growing. Naturally. And eventually, he needed a bigger space. And so, in 1956, Jim Jones bought a former Jewish place of worship. Hmm. The word temple was carved on the wall outside. And since the church was to be a socialist endeavor, Jim Jones gave his church a new name, People's Temple. And that's where we'll pick back up next week with Jonestown 
Part two. All right. Laying interesting groundwork here. No idea, no idea about this guy. How do they get to be as big as they are? It's yeah. fascinating to learn the the origin story here. I will say a lot of crooked hard work. Yeah. Yep. That's where we're going to see is that it, it's weird how, like, in the end, because same thing weirdly with Scientology, these guys kind of go into it kind of with the idea of getting a quick buck or, like, a, a way to, like, kind of scam the world and get things going for themselves yep. or, like, doing stuff. But in the end... A life of trickery is like so much more work. Well, it is, but at some point, I, I do have to imagine that he looked at his wife and said, Honey, we're going to need some more chicken guts. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on up. Well, Jim Jones was uh, an extremely hard worker. Yeah, I mean, when he was, like a, when he he was in college, he, he never slept. He just never, and that eventually caught up to him. Uh, yeah. But for many years, like Jim Jones from, you know, dawn to dusk and beyond like he was always always working bill clinton was like that yeah well, they're all like that yeah but that's uh why the amphetamines came in but we're gonna get to that all later. right yeah and all of these episodes yeah thank you for listening all of these episodes are going to be about this long all right uh but yeah we've gone <laughs> this is gonna be a very exhaustive this is very intense we're really going in there because i feel like we've never done something to this level we love cults yeah i personally in the end it's we'll strange to study over them. time yeah. I just love to study cults even more than serial killers. Me too. Cults so are my favorite. I'm, These are my favorite. Cult episodes are always my favorite episodes. And you know, and we're going to, in the future, you know, we fucking biffed Heaven's Gate. We're going to take a serious run at Heaven's Gate here uh, very soon. I wouldn't soon. say it was a biff. It was a biff. It was not a biff. Oh, our first 60 or so episodes were just, there was a lot of biffs. Happy 300. <laughs> Happy 300. Happy we did 300. it. I am Sparta. What about Barb? What about um, Barb? About did that ever Barb? come out, what about Barb? No. Oh, they shelved it, huh? I can actually maybe tell that story sometime, because I don't think we've been saying that for forever, and nobody has any clue I think we talked about be, it on I the think live legally, stream. Yeah, I, yeah, maybe. I think legally I'm not allowed to talk about it. I yeah. think that show is so dead and gone, yeah. you can talk about what yeah. about Barb. I think what about the Barb The remake was put of on what the about Bob that they were trying to create for television, <laughs> because they're out of ideas. <laughs> yes. Like idiots. Yes, they are. They are out of God. ideas. They are definitely out what of about ideas. Wow. Barb? What about Barb? What about Barb? Yeah. We make it illegal. Yeah, that, which I think is actually very progressive, but it's It's, it's stupid. It'll be fine. It's yeah. fine. Yes. yes. It's dumb. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. What do we want to say here? Uh, we want to thank you, everyone, uh, who has donated to the Patreon. Of course, yeah. Uh, there was just somebody on Twitter who reached out regarding the Patreon. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much to all the people who give. Uh, Patreon.com slash last podcast on the left is uh, where you can... Can go. We appreciate uh, each and every one, one of you, no matter how much you give. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, we're going to keep going, man. We got a lot going on this year. We got a lot uh, coming keep up. Going. We have a lot of shit coming up. Absolutely. Coming it, was, it was Philly Philly. Philip Berth, I believe, is his name. Thank you, Phil, for reaching out on, on uh, Twitter. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Kissel, and I'll respond to you there. I know some people say they want more shout outs and stuff when we try to give it, but you can just find us, and I will respond yeah, to you. Yeah, you can always find just us. Reach always out. find us. And Kissel loves to respond. He always responds. Yep, I try to. Um, I, I respond to the funny ones. Yeah, I, I respond to the nice ones and the funny ones. No snarky comments because. Uh, that doesn't that don't fly on my Twitter. <laughs> you don't understand, guys. Now, one thing I will say is like we're part of a weird phenomenon that's called being a tiny internet celebrity. And then when you are a part of this, we're three people that do not really know how to navigate this. <laughs> and we're doing our best. Um, so our best. follow us on Twitter at Henry Loves You at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel. Follow us on Instagram at Dr. Fantasy at Marcus Parks at Ben Kissel, the number one. Yes. And follow us uh, 
for whatever the fuck it is that you get your breaking news on at LP on the left. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and I did. I made my first Instagram video, a little scene from uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 yesterday. So I, I think I'm going to it's do so, it. It's scary uh, the first time. So I, I broke I'm proud the of you, man. I get horrified it's with super, super trill of you. Yeah, thank you. Crazy trill that you join Insta Stories. I think it's Insta trill. Story. I think That's it's, what it is. I yeah. think it's of the moment. You're on trend. Thank you. Well, go listen to all of our other shows over at uh, lastpodcastnetwork.com. We got a oh. ton of stuff to listen listen to over there and also check out my new music show Uh-oh. milk and peppers <laughs> uh, i do it every uh you can listen live every tuesday at kpiss.fm i do it out of kpiss.fm out there in bushwick check uh, it out. it's a uh, 1 to 3 p.m every single tuesday but if you can't make it uh you can always go and listen uh to all the episodes at mixcloud.com uh slash marcus parks i po- i'm going to be posting every single episode episode there every single week there it uh, is we only got one so far but you can go listen to that and all the other lucky bone shows that i've done there's a lot of content out there and thank you to everyone who has listened so far absolutely and i want to thank everyone i go on these television news networks and i get a lot of hate from a lot of people but yes. thank you all so much for the kind ones uh <laughs> because uh, you guys and they, it's great because they defend me and they're very sweet and they, you really make everything uh worth it and i'll keep on trying to stand up for you the best i can and let me know how i'm doing uh, like Ed Koch, how am I doing? And then how am I doing? people were like, You're how doing terrible. Doing? And he's like, Well, no, but how am I doing? Um, <laughs> All right, hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail, hail me. And honestly, guys, happy 300th episode. We've done it, and it's all because of our audience, and it's because of us three. That's it. All right. Yeah, because our refusal to quit. There it is. It's <laughs> almost like we have no other discernible talents. Magustalations. 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 Thank you. Emmy Award-winning John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., a special run of six live episodes created by and starring Mulaney that'll stream live on Netflix during the Netflix is a Joke Fest. The comically unconventional show will feature special guests where John Mulaney explores the city of Los Angeles during a week when every funny person is in it. Watch John Mulaney presents Everybody's in L.A., debuting May 3rd live at 7 p.m. Pacific time, only on Netflix. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. It's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod.